0: All right, what'll you have to drink?
1: I'm drinking water and a cocktail of Advil and Tylenol right now.
0: Sounds delicious. Are listening to the tentatively titled "Where Is the Love" podcast. I am Michael Ware.
1: I'm Melissa Ware.
0: And uh, Melissa is drinking water with a cocktail of uh, pain reliever, uh, pain relief medicine, and uh, nasal decongestant, and all kinds of stuff because.
1: We have coronavirus.
0: De- <laughs> Pandemic, Lovato has come to the warehouse hold. Uh, and uh, you know we're not taking the, this seriously. Don't worry, but not that we're placing blame or anything. But uh, if we had to, if we had to pinpoint the uh, the insurgent, it was me, um, uh, and uh, I feel great. It it, it uh, I I was a little achy for like 36 hours.
1: Yeah, Michael got it mildly. I feel like I've gotten hit by a Mack truck, and our nine-month-old Elaria got it quite bad for a good like 24 to 36-hour period, but she's finally on the mend. I feel awful. It has been the worst sickness I've had in memory. Um, Searsha right now has been asymptomatic, and we hope that she stays that way but she is the last woman standing. She has been running our household.
0: Yeah, no, she, she has an incredible immune system, um, which is odd because no one seeks out uh, viral exchange uh, uh, like she does. I mean, she will demand kisses. Uh, she will uh, <laughs> eat anything off the ground and so it's she loves it's, dirt. She loves dirt, so um, maybe that has helped buffer her from from the Rona. Um, so so we should learn something from her. But yeah, yeah, we're we're holding it together. I'm glad that it didn't hit us until really after the holidays.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Um, and we'll all be healthy in time for the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl run. And so really, sure. like if we ha- if we had to time it this this would be the time
1: yeah i didn't want it at all so when we finally did get it i was so disappointed and angry i was so angry for like two days and i kept saying to michael i'm so exponentially angry that for two years we didn't have us and now we do and the no, really she, she
0: just walked around the house being like i am so angry right now um, and and it is an odd thing you like take all of these precautions for two years and you know we got to the end of the year and it was like wow we've we've done we've done pretty well uh and then, and then we get it um but yeah so stay safe out there i mean so it, it seems like some data is coming out omicron seems to be less uh serious uh, the symptoms seem to be less severe um but uh the uh it is very contagious yes and uh and
1: i still felt like total just garbage sure yes Um, so i'm glad that i'm vaccinated for that very reason
0: yes and so yeah we were vaccinated boosted uh the whole the whole nine um so yeah so i i think well first of all we appreciate all of the feedback on the name of this podcast it was uh, incredible. The listener engagement is just a plus. Uh, we we are tentatively going with "Where Is the Love." Uh, I think it's a good, strong name. I'm a big Roberta Flack guy, and so I like that tie-in. Melissa was like, "Are you sure you want to name the podcast after the Black Eyed Peas song?" And I'm like, Melissa, you gotta you gotta go back a, a few decades. Uh, I apologize. Sorry. I've offended your (laughs) Roberta Black sensibilities. Uh, And so, but here's the invitation. Make your strongest argument against the name. You know, we want this thing to be tested. We want it to be bulletproof. And so uh, it's tentatively titled Where's the Love? Um, But we can definitely be bullied out of it. Um, Melissa, I think you wanted to name some of the other some of the other uh, suggested titles for the yes, podcast. Yes, Because they in. were
1: they were too good. So I have to just name name a bunch. So we got a lot of like where are they now or where are we or where we are, which is super cool. Like it's a it's a very good podcast idea name, uh, for a name. Um Where in Peace, I really, really liked. Let Where be Light. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did it. I did it. I don't that was from that one though. of our
1: really good friends, Brian. Okay. Uh neither here nor where was his other submission. Nope. Uh we're not gonna take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love and wear. Wear and tear. Beware everywhere. <laughs> where are you, Christmas? What? Uh, let's see where what else uh, where we find ourselves. Oh, brother, where out where
0: art thou? Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good that was a good one.
1: Oh, one of my favorite ones was "Preta Porte," which is uh, you know uh, ready to wear. "Regu Regu Alla Wear" uh, It's trying to sort of
0: appeal to my Italian yes, sensibilities. Exactly. Yeah, my,
1: Melissa and the Werewolf.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was serious. I think that was just a dig at me. Yes. And I think that was, yes. where, that was just the where door was here,
1: open. we here. Rest for the wary. Uh, and, okay, this was my number one favorite. Okay, hear me out. Wear the Buffalo Rome. That comes from Kevin Moore. Bless you for that suggestion. Wear the Buffalo Rome. It's just so clever.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I did feel like he was uh, trying to appeal to our uh, homesickness. And our hometown sympathies, which, you know, the man did his research. Uh, On the other hand, you know, kind of like manipulative. uh, I I have to say.
1: In this instance, I like being manipulated. I wear the (laughs) buffalo robe is great. (laughs) (laughs) Someone suggested underwear. Men's warehouse. (laughs) Wearing it out. And I'll just stop there now. But there were many suggestions that were just absolutely hilarious.
0: Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for uh, speaking into our life in this way. Uh, Yes, we're just edified over here. We're going to go with where's the love? Unless uh, we're talking. Yeah,
1: Michael just wants a fight.
0: We're talked out of it.
1: Who wants to fight?
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
1: that's an Ernest Hemingway and Midnight in Paris reference.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, COVID, that's just like the context for our lives right now. Yeah. We talked about the title of uh, the podcast. Uh, I think the, the real like meaty topic that we wanted to discuss is, uh, for those of you who uh, subscribe to the newsletter, you saw uh, our top five for this week closes with uh, a Washington Post uh, op-ed section feature on the ideas and arguments that will define the next 12 months. And some of these are obvious, some of these are surprising. Uh, I think I have some of my uh, own that were not covered here, but we thought it would be a good thing to sort of talk through. Uh, As we uh, look ahead to 2022. Now, right, so we know the year will end with midterm elections that will frame. 2024. A lot of the. Well, no, that'll frame a lot of the political conversation this year. And as things sort of get closer to November, midterms will, will, you know, increasingly, you know, take over. But um, I think the article raises some issues that uh, we expect will shape 2022, yes, including uh, schools and education. Uh, Melissa, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: I just think this dynamic that's going on right now, exactly uh, sort of what's going on with schools, about the fact that schools were closed for such a long time, there was a lot of online education, um, in public schools, I should say, um, and the sort of reactions to that, the sort of statistics we have now in terms of like the the negative externalities that happened with that in terms of kids not being in school, not getting meals, not getting regular instruction. A lot of them, a lot of kids are behind in learning and things like that. So we know that you know, virtual learning isn't the best way of teaching. You know, a seven year old, but Omicron, the surge. As we've seen, I mean, it is just so contagious and administrators and teachers are just getting sick. And so a lot of school districts, you know, have gone online and there's just a whole debate about it. And I think we saw in Virginia there was a lot more of the school issue showing up, obviously not just with coronavirus, but with a bunch of other stuff. I think that schools are kind of one of those sort of secret issues that might come up in 2022 in terms of how people vote where they decide that their vote goes in terms of how po- politicians talk about their policies towards, you know, keeping schools open, keeping them closed, especially if another sort of variant comes, which we know that another variant will come at some point. Um, I just feel like it's one of those dark horse issues that people just sort of push aside, say, yeah, it's there, but then it doesn't become a thing until it becomes a thing. And I just think it's going to be something bigger than what people – I think it's, I think it's an underestimated issue if I could be more succinct.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think Democrats m- might uh, consider themselves to be lucky based on what, like Virginia. So I, I agree. I think schooling was a dark horse issue, uh, underestimated issue in Virginia. I think because of Virginia, I think it's on. Uh, I think strategists, I think candidates are much more aware of it. We've already seen some Democratic office holders, including Governor Jared Polis in Colorado. We've seen now the mayor of New York just over the last 24 hours speak about uh, schools uh, uh, needing to stay open. President Biden came out with a statement this week saying he wanted schools to stay open Uh, Which is, so I think we're seeing Democratic office holders try to make a pivot. I I do think we've been flagging in the newsletter the school issue for the last year. Yes. Plus, um, I think when we were were writing about it a year ago, uh, we knew how it was affecting and how salient it was at the grassroots level with parents, with families. I think when we were writing a year ago, the assumption was the lockdowns were gonna be uh, a late 2020 thing, maybe early 2021. But once the vaccine got distributed, that conversation would be over and then it would be a full year plus almost 18 months before midterms. I think now the fact that we're having school closing conversations and it's important to say this is primarily the places that are talking about school closings now are primarily, though not exclusively, like the major metropolitan areas and like overwhelmingly blue states. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the conversation is happening keeps in the mind of voters around the country. And so I, I, so I don't think it's going to be underestimated. I think the question now is, is it too late for Democrats to, to um, like, is it just a, t- a political tidal wave that is coming that sort of maybe, maybe there are some candidates who can, by being really forceful, can kind of separate themselves from what is deemed to be the Democratic sort of uh, reputation on school closings. But I think it might be too baked in for much of the electorate.
1: So... Let me reword what I said. I think it's already too late, and so that's why I call it a dark horse issue because I don't think that they can pivot as much as maybe some think that they could. I think... I mean, the whole pandemic has been very traumatizing in various ways for various people for various reasons because they've had a loved one die, they've lost their job, you know, a multitude of things, but I think that with your own children, the people whom you love the most in the world when you, you know, see them not doing as well in online school, go back to school, and then everything gets shut down again. I think the trauma is so deep that I think it's something that's going to be remembered. Even though I'm actually a big proponent of the whole idea that a lot of Americans tend to forget a lot of things within a few months of them happening, but I think this this particular issue has been so long running in this particular crisis that there's it will be remembered and I think it's already too late. So that's what I mean by dark horse and that I think it's gonna be underestimated in terms of in terms of I think the damage is done. so how do you sort of do damage control?
0: Yeah, and, and I'll just say before we move on to another topic, which is the way to not do damage control is to um, suggest that people who are talking about school closings aren't really talking about school closings, they're talking about some other hidden agenda uh uh that's a recipe for uh for making a lot of folks feel unheard for actually um uh, raising turnout for voters that are uh, uh sort of boosting enthusiasm among voters who are not going to vote for democrats we saw that in virginia i think right i think the virginia problem was not just Terry McAuliffe's positions on the issues, but this sense that like Terry wasn't willing to take what voters were saying at face value, or even what Yunkin was saying at face value, it was, oh no, he's he he really is talking about uh about about this. No, you need to like take what you're hearing head on. And I do think the the sort of political costs can be mitigated. Uh, if, if Democrats actually take voters' concerns seriously here and don't sort of obfuscate and try and try and sort of uh, 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 redirect the conversation too flippantly, uh, but yeah, I think the school schooling issue is going to be significant, and then there's like COVID more broadly. Obviously, there are significant questions about the the future of the pandemic. Uh, uh, do we continue to see sort of variant after variant and, and what what does that look like? You know, what's the trajectory of the pandemic itself? And then politically, uh, you know, I think COVID's going to loom large. Obviously, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, Biden was elected uh, and Democrats sort of came in with the message about the incompetency of the former president, former administration, and the sort of flip side of that message is that you know you elect our competency, and you know COVID's going to feel like a much less um, tenuous, precarious, unwieldy sort of thing. Like, well, we'll get this all in order. Is the flip side of the incompetency message or the incompetency critique. The problem, of course, is like uh, incompetency did play a role in the previous administration and uh, a more disciplined president than Donald Trump would have been more effective during uh, a pandemic. But the pandemic was going to be uh was going to throw America for a loop no matter who was in office. And, and so what happens is, you know, Biden comes in and Democrats sort of, because they had both the House, the Senate, the White House, um, they, they kind of own the situation. And no matter how competent they were, it wasn't going to deliver uh, serenity. <laughs> it wasn't going to deliver certainty. And so Democrats uh, heading into midterms regarding COVID are in a difficult spot in a number of ways Uh, for for voters that had an expectation that, you know, Democrats kind of gave them uh, that sort of COVID was going to be, you know, handled if Democrats were put in office. Well, that's kind of like a relative concept. Uh, It it doesn't feel handled to uh, a lot of uh, um, Americans, particularly, you know, what's odd about the situation we have is uh, the worst views of the pandemic itself, I think, are held by Democrats now that's not, you know, I'm sure that if you pulled uh, the administration's handling of COVID, Republicans, conservatives would have uh, would would uh, be more negative than Democrats. But uh, Democrats aren't necessarily in a position right now. We'll see as we get closer in November. Democrats aren't in a position to hear good news about COVID because they're generally more pessimistic, more concerned about COVID. It's Republican voters generally, like the median Republican voter, uh, is less concerned about COVID, the pandemic, but more concerned about the Biden administration. So politically, it's just a tough place to be and, and Heading into the midterms, a key question for Democrats is just going to be, what's the story they tell uh, when they talk about the progress that has been made or or the trajectory of COVID from when Democrats took control in in 2021? Yeah,
1: and I think that's going to be a real uphill climb right now. Obviously, the midterms don't come for several, several months from now, and we're in an Omicron surge, but you can't get a test anywhere. And you know, like the issue with schools, a lot of times is ventilation and like that that sort of stuff. Like, why why don't we have proper ventilation in public schools yet? Like, you because I can completely, you know, with the, also just going back to the school thing real quick. I'm <clears throat> I also have great empathy for teachers, administrators who are getting sick, who cannot run their schools, and people are getting sick. You want to protect kids from this. You want to protect your teachers from this. And for the parents who are also nervous or might have an <laughs> immunocompromised child. Um, Well, one of the things you can do is make testing incredibly available, very cheap. Ventilate your schools so that you're not having to open windows when it's you know 20 degrees out, kind of thing. You actually have proper ventilation in schools, but we don't have any of that. Like right now, you can't even get a test. I mean, we have COVID right now, and we were able to test you um, and me, and we're out right now. And so I have we have to wait about another week to week and a half for another test to come in to say, okay, now we're negative. (laughs) And that was after sort of going down a rabbit hole searching for tests. So it's like things like that. But that's during. That's in the. That we're in the middle of a surge. This surge will end. We know that all of the surges end. So I'm just very curious as to what exactly what you're saying, the messaging, what what the actual messaging is, how it's timed, and then the sort of like happenstance of where will we be in November? Will will we be in the middle of another surge? Or will we be sort of in the middle of a sort of a calmer time? it'll just be some part of this will just be happenstance of just the virus doing the virus thing
0: yeah yeah so uh, you know obviously i think covid is gonna be significant the article also covers uh, from a political perspective it covers um covers uh uh the economy and inflation and and, uh, sort of the trajectory of inflation over the course of 2021 i mean i also think that you know, whether there's any progress made on voting rights and Build Back Better. Um, uh, and sort of, you know, the story that Democrats have to tell about what they were able to do with unified, though tenuous, um, you know, control control of of the legislative and executive branches. That's going to be significant. I'd also say something that isn't mentioned in this article uh is uh, the the dobbs decision on abortion that's going to be dropped four Same. or five months before the midterms and and depending on what that decision looks like that can really reset the table there were some other like non-political or at least like not sort of directly political electoral uh uh ideas in the article uh, including This idea that sort of we're going to see massive changes in the restaurant industry and sort of to paraphrase it that there will be um, the prediction is like we're going to see high end dining sustained like people still want people still want experiential dining experiences. Not necessarily Michelin star because Michelin star is only right, in like, like a city, uh, but like BMC high high end dining, dining uh, and then like carry out, like fast food, but that like mid level uh, dining uh, is gonna be uh, is gonna be hollowed out. Th- that's like a really uh, scary thing to think about because because that's the. That's the level of like, that's the family run diner. That's the, that's the amateur cook. That's the, that's the place that you go out to celebrate birthdays in. Yep.
1: That's the place where people can towns. afford that's for a place their that's nice where, meal that's for where, the Exactly.
0: That's the kind of place that people can, um, can afford. And so I am, I mean, I was just, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was picking up food and walked past a row of restaurants that were, um, that were just completely empty. And you looked in and saw like the few staff there on their phones, like just a complete on an evening, at, like you know six thirty. Very
1: busy part of Baltimore. In at a very, very good busy, restaurants. exactly. Yeah.
0: Like, um, and so yeah, it makes you that's a significant change that will affect hundreds of thousands of american workers and the communities that And it's not that just that but there's I mean yeah.
1: it's just it's like you know a restaurant it's is culture. a place for culture yeah it's a place for art like i i i mean i get it like you, for me i could eat diner food for the rest of my life sitting in a diner gives me so much pleasure like it's just so nostalgic for me i think the diner, i think the american diner is a work of art like I, I, that sounds like I maybe corny or something, but I, I think it's a place for a gathering. It's a place for a community. Um, so.
0: Yeah, really sad. I yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think, in hindsight, I think most people seem to have panned the uh, PPP, the um, the COVID relief. Packages yeah. that went out to restaurants and others because of the sort of... Uh,
1: where exactly the money where went. Where
0: exactly the money went and how, how it was directed and that kind of thing. But you do kind of wonder if... I don't think a lot of legislation will be uh, signed this year, especially once we get beyond February, March. You do wonder if we get into the summer... And restaurants have had to take it on the chin for another six, seven months. You do wonder if there might be a bipartisan sort of restaurant, you know, food service rescue, you know, package. Um,
1: That, and I do just wonder, once these antivirals really actually start getting distributed, which hopefully they will, and hopefully they'll get distributed quickly, because the whole supply chain thing is also a huge issue, and I think it might be in this article, I can't remember um excuse me coronavirus um is these antivirals how it might change life as well um does it sort of turn the pandemic endemic or does it help it go in that direction and therefore people even when the next surge comes because it will or the next variant i should say the next variant will come these antivirals will they prevent the next surge which sort of helps you know, sort of sustain the various areas that really, really suffer, like the restaurant industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Then the last, well, I don't know if you want to talk about soft pants. <laughs> uh, do you want to give 30 seconds on soft pants?
1: Basically, the idea is that soft pants are here to stay and people, <laughs> people will go, now start going, people will be going to work wearing soft pants, which I was kind of like, Most offices and or other like retail, like a bunch of businesses. Most businesses don't allow you to wear jeans, a.k.a. hard pants. So I'm like, (laughs) was everybody wearing dresses and skirts before or what's going on? Anyways, apparently soft pants are here to stay.
0: Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. So would love reader comments on uh, whether that's a whether that's progress or. Um, you know, degeneracy, but would love your comments on soft pants. And then uh, and then I <coughs> excuse me, I was interested in this note uh, that NFTs and blockchain are going to take over uh, the art world that uh, we're going to see uh, art investors investing in NFTs of particularly like famous works of Art, Monet's, Van Gogh's, Da Vinci's, uh, uh, NFTs are um,
1: non fungible tokens.
0: Non fungible tokens, and uh, you know, I, uh, my understanding is like basically you're you're buying like an image, like you're 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 buying, right? <laughs>
1: I don't know, man. Okay. <laughs> so when it comes to the world of, like, currency or things that you use to then barter and or buy things, like, this type of stuff I just don't get. Like, the IMF special drawing rates are basically where I sort of, like, draw the line in terms of, like, currencies other than, like, paper money, that <laughs> where I understand them. I
0: So here's the description from the article. Uh <laughs> Uh, NFTs are not the new photography. That's to say they're not so much a new artistic medium as they are a financial instrument. Think of them as a digital certificate of authenticity that exists on a decentralized ledger, a ledger that anyone can see and that cannot be tampered with. That helped me very little.
1: Yeah, I mean... Who runs this? Who makes the NFTs? Why is the ledger untamperable? Uh, what is the ledger? Yeah. Why why so, was it that photography, what wh- why was that the medium? Is it just is it because like paper money has like pictures on it and we're just like, okay. well, so, maybe so we'll do that. So this is
0: this is helpful. Above all, these virtual commodities create a notional scarcity.
1: Yeah, that's English, okay? Notional scarcity.
0: Yeah, the notion of scarcity. Notional scarcity. Notional scarcity. Meaning, like, there's only... Yeah, that's it, what mon- create- that's what money
1: does. This is literally just right. saying we're gonna. Well, like yes. I said, IMS special drawing rights are another type of like all this stuff. It's just money all over again, and people just put a fancy name on it, put a fancy little like gimmick with it, like photography. So or digital image.
0: artists whose work exists as easily copied computer files can now point to a single version of their work as the authentic one, creating an asset that can more easily be monetized.
1: I wonder what Banksy thinks of this.
0: Oh, Banksy! Banksy. Are, Banksy you, are you are you out there, Banksy? No, no, Banksy is Banksy is mentioned here. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, right. oh, yeah, and that's happening. So I don't know. There's not a statement from Banksy, but entrepreneurs are currently minting works by Banksy as NFTs. And but then, I
1: feel like this is such an Banksy would be totally against all this. I feel.
0: Does he have a choice?
1: I don't know if Banksy has a choice. I don't know. Honestly, uh, I don't know.
0: Well, apparently, if this prediction is right, maybe do by we, the end, maybe by the we, end of 2022, we'll know. You, we'll know what an NFT is.
1: Okay. Do you want to become a crypto bro? Then is that what you're saying?
0: No, I, I definitely do not. Uh, I've um, uh, resisted becoming a bro, really, of any kind. <laughs>
1: uh, Our podcast <laughs> name is "Where Is the Crypto Bro?"
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so check out this article for The Washington Post. Um, I was wondering, Melissa, I, I have an answer, but was there something here that you thought were uh, that you thought was missing? What ideas and arguments do you think will define uh, the next 12 months?
1: Actually, one of the reasons why I included it in Top 5 was I, I thought it was pretty comprehensive in terms of the sort of Shaping of current narratives, American narratives, I should say. I mean, there's nothing in here about war. And I think we're sort of always on the sort of precipice of war. And I think Russia and Ukraine right now, if Russia makes any kind of move, the United States is obligated to act in some way as sort of the de facto head of NATO. Um, so, always ready for war over here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh...
1: That's why maybe we should go with where with, uh, in peace.
0: that is a contextual case. Uh, uh, So, so yeah, I agree. Some of those, um, you know, it's obviously hard to predict. I mean, the Ukraine situation is emerging now. So, I mean, that's not so much a prediction as, you know, gosh, if this thing develops, it'll really take over a lot of 2022. Um, I think that'll be interesting because, uh, I mean uh, Biden's relationships with NATO with uh, I mean in some of these countries that'll be in Poland and some of these countries are just so long standing mm-hmm. uh, w- what a um, what a crisis to be put on on his plate um, I- yeah,
1: right when you're trying to sort of... Re up the transatlantic alliance exactly right, exactly right. But Putin knows that, so that's why it's part of why he's doing this. He hates NATO, he knows that Biden's trying to sort of redo our relationships. It's like it's like great timing, brilliant move on his end. Yeah, not that I'm applauding it, I'm just sort of game recognizes game, game recognizes Uh,
0: game. Yeah, uh, so here's what was missing for me from the article, which is I think quite obvious, which is I think family politics is going to be uh very big in 2022 i think we've already seen it uh percolating uh as we close out 2021 we talked about some of the op-eds in uh, our podcast last week uh there was another new york times op-ed that we will not discuss i'm Uh, just not doing it man we will not discuss on this episode you can call me up personally and i will happily Uh, rant to each and every one of you directly about this article Uh, but there was a New York Times op-ed what does marriage ask us to give up question mark (sighs) so some exhausting stuff is happening Um, Pope Francis pretty amazingly uh, uh, decided to enter the fray today Uh, of course as per usual like the American media headlines of what Pro- Pope Francis said are always a like take it a bit out of context Just
1: out of pocket.
0: B are always like seem completely unfamiliar with the man, the Catholic Church, Catholics in general, like human history. They're always they're always like uh, you know Pope Francis, who we thought you know. Uh, was reincarnation, like the, the incarnation of Woodstock, you know, had had this to say, we're so blown away. Uh, that was kind of the reaction in, in part to his, his, his comments to a general audience on January 5th, uh, uh, where he said that it's a civilizational loss when dogs and cats replace children in society. He encouraged couples to take the risk to become parents. Uh, Here's a direct quote, obviously a translation. Uh, The other day I was talking about the demographic winter that we have today. Many couples do not have children because they do not want to, or they have just one, but they have two dogs, two cats. Yes, dogs and cats take the place of children. Yes, it's funny, I understand, but it is the reality. And this denial of fatherhood and motherhood diminishes us, takes away humanity. Um these comments really aren't all that significant. They're, They're like basic. Like Pope John Paul II, like like this is just this is just like Catholic stuff here. Yeah,
1: the Catholic Pope speaking to his Catholics.
0: Yeah, um uh and so it's not like I don't think this is going to be a major thing in 2022 cuz like Pope Francis is, is like said this it's more like their reaction to it was just like one more indication that that people have completely lost their minds. People are, people were like, the the Pope thinks that if I don't have kids, like I I don't deserve to live. And it's like, whoa, just like read, read the quote. Like, like slow your roll. Like I don't understand like the, the drive to catastrophize and like personalize, like he's not—he's not talking about you, like Joe. Like he's not, like it, slow down. Uh, he's talking about very specific sort of cultural like push here. He's not saying infertile couples are like like oh, but the the fact that people want to drive these kinds of things to these like existential, like cataclysmic. Uh, uh, places, I think, is an indication of like where some of these some of these debates are are going. And so, do you buy that, Melissa? Do you think family politics is gonna continue to be um, drive a lot of the conversation in twenty twenty
1: two? Well, I mean, the Build Back Better bill, well, is yes, gonna help drive that because I mean, I mean, the momnibus, like all, that whole thing. I mean, the child tax child tax credit. You That's know? right. So there, to- are like <coughs> Sorry, there are now all these policy expressions.
0: There are now all these like policy expressions because, as we've talked about before, I think we talked about it last week, which is like for this little window of time here, we have Democrats and Republicans talking about how government can support families in a way that's pretty uh, unique. Like we said last week, I don't think that's long lasting, but I do think it will last through 2022 um so, yeah. yeah
1: i think schools are family politics Yes, so, a yeah, hundred there's a bunch of dynamics going on so yeah you could probably at the top level call it all family politics
0: yeah well hey so that is uh that's the episode for this week we would love to hear your predictions about the ideas and arguments that will uh be significant in 2022 you can uh uh uh, visit reclaiminghope.substack.com. Leave us your comments there. Subscribe to the newsletter. We'd love to uh, love to have you. Uh, if you've enjoyed uh, listening in on uh, our conversation so far, I would urge you to share uh, this podcast uh, and/or the newsletter with those you know that might appreciate it too. Uh, Melissa, any any closing words?
1: I've been trying not to cough this whole episode, but I did a few times, so I'm sorry about that, but I think I need to go take more Tylenol.
0: Yeah, wow. You're really I mean, you have been you have been you have been feeling it. You have been sick. I think what you're displaying is even early on in this podcast journey. You are you are committed to the people. I mean, the fact that you're here is What's the line? Neither of us are big Hamilton fans, but isn't there a line? I have no idea. Is a miracle the fact that you're doing this podcast with COVID is a miracle? People, someone tell me the line from Hamilton that I'm thinking of. Uh, but the main point is Melissa's committed to you. I'm committed to you. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is tentatively. Uh, where is the love? Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.